0: Chapter 5 of My Travels, A Family Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tracy Butterick. My Travels, A Family Story by Maria Hackett. Chapter 5. In my last sketch, I led your readers to understand that the ships Erebus and Terror under the command of Sir John Franklin, sailed from Hobart Town for the Arctic region. The facts of the case are that I saw the ships in Hobart Town while the expedition really started from Greenwich, London, May 24, 1845. During a residence of 13 years in Tasmania, we formed many acquaintances, became intimate with a variety of people, and met many odd characters. Hired labor was very scarce there. And on one occasion, when a vessel arrived from Calcutta, the sailors, who were nearly all Mohammedans, deserted the ship and engaged with the colonists. We had the good fortune to engage one of them, who proved himself far superior to the help of the present day. He was a good washer and ironer, an extremely good cook, and understood the management of children. His dress consisted of a long blue cloth garment trimmed with scarlet a turban encircled with a gold band, a cummerbund or scarf of seven or eight yards of mole muslin tied around his waist, the ends hanging almost to his feet. He had fine features, long black silken hair, and his food consisted principally of rice, his religion forbidding him to eat meat or use intoxicating drinks. When he had saved a hundred dollars, he left us, saying that with that sum in his country, he could live without work for the remainder of his life, and he took ship for Calcutta. One of the noblest men and dearest of friends was Captain William Moriarty, who was captain of the port of Town, son of Admiral Moriarty of the British Navy. He sailed from England to this port in the ship Cornet, the same ship that brought us here, while the vessel was in the harbor of Santiago, the place was visited by a terrible earthquake and tidal wave. The ship was destroyed, the passengers losing everything and barely escaping with their lives. They were taken by an American ship to Brazil, and from there were forwarded to Hobart Town after suffering many miseries and trials. Captain Moriarty made it a special point to succour shipwrecked persons, and I have seen as many as thirty sufferers by perils of the sea enjoying his hospitality. Lieutenant Small of the 63rd Regiment, British Army, who brought out letters of introduction to my husband, had a pitiful story to relate. While on the voyage, out the ship anchored off an island inhabited by savages, the captain gave permission to many of the passengers to go ashore, of which they gladly availed themselves. About twenty-five, consisting of men, women, and children, proceeded to the beach in the ship's boats. They made some delay, and a favorable breeze having sprung up, the inhuman captain sailed away, leaving them to their fate. Lieutenant Small, whose son was amongst the party so deserted, became so exasperated that he drew his sword and stabbed the captain, seriously wounding him. He was placed in irons by the direction of the captain for the remainder of the voyage, and on his arrival at Hobart Town was tried for mutiny on the high seas. This was an offense punishable with death. But, upon the facts being elicited at the trial, the tables were turned. Lieutenant Small was acquitted, the captain placed on trial, and received a sentence which doomed him to two years' imprisonment. The ship was also confiscated. Nothing was ever heard of the unfortunate party left on the island. Imagine the feelings of the unhappy people on seeing the vessel containing loved members of their families slowly disappearing from their tearful eyes and frenzied vision, and add to that the thought of the inevitable death that awaited them, either from starvation or from hostile savages who possibly sacrificed them to their cannibal propensities. One celebrated prisoner who was servant to the Honorable Mr. Barrett, colonial secretary, was Sir Henry Hayes, who was transported for the attempt of forcible abduction of Miss Pike of Cork, a very rich lady whose money he coveted and whom he wished to marry. When I saw him, he was dressed in a yellow jacket and pants, his head shaved and altogether presenting a most forlorn appearance. We once had a prisoner servant who was previously a banker in London, immensely wealthy, and had his carriage and four. He was transported for forgery. While he was with us, he did nothing but cry and lament his unhappy fate, and we were obliged to dismiss him. There was a prisoner named Solomon who offered a $100,000 to the government for the privilege of returning to England for one year. As this was before the system of ticket of leave was introduced, his request was not granted. The richest man in Melbourne, shortly after gold being discovered, was John Mills, who was a prisoner and worked with us as a maltster. He became free, went to Melbourne bought building lots at $25 each, which he sold after the gold was discovered for $500 a foot frontage. He then started a brewery and made a large fortune. My husband told me one day that he had invited to dinner the famous New Zealand chief, Kanawanga Tapita. I made great preparations for entertaining so distinguished a guest, but on seeing him... I was so disgusted with his appearance that I refused to allow him in the house, and we satisfied him by giving him some raw meat, which he ate ravenously on the back piazza. Those who have not seen the New Zealand natives cannot form an opinion of their hideous appearance. Chief as this man was, his dress was mainly composed of a filthy mat carelessly hanging from his shoulders. His lower limbs and feet were uncovered. His face presented the appearance of being corduroyed, from the ridge and furrow process of tattooing having been deeply gone into. His features were of a regular cast, but the artistic touches of the human remodeler made them repulsive, at least to those not accustomed to artificial development of the facial outline. End of chapter 5. Recording by Tracy Butterick.